We are reading out of Second Samuel 11, um, a few different places. It's the story of David and Bathsheba. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter, he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So I would imagine that probably most of you have heard that, that scripture, that passage before, and it's a, it's, a, it's a dangerous thing for us to come to scripture when we uh, we think we know what we're, we're going to hear. And uh, so this morning, I've, I've preached this from this passage, and uh, Psalm 51 is David's response to this after being confronted about his sin. Preached from that a lot. But I think the perspective that we'll take this morning is, com- is completely different. Um, one, because we're, we're here in the middle of our Life in Chaos series. And so, like what you just heard Kelly read to us is is extremely chaotic, right? It's a it's a it's a huge thing to lust after a man's wife and have that man killed and have a baby and take that uh, that woman as your wife and destroy her life and your life and the life of the child. There's just so much chaos that's happening, so much dysfunction that's happening here. So we'll we're going to look at that this morning from from that perspective, um, but there are, um, I, I want us to see three things. The first two things are, are very practical issues with sin, um, and, and I hope that they're, they bring about the third one, which brings us into a place of, of awe and worship of who God is. Um, so, so let's pray, and then uh, we'll dig into to the Scripture. Thank you, Father, for persevering the story of your servant David uh, so that we could hear it this morning and learn from it this morning. I thank you so much for his life in chaos, and I thank you for how you redeemed that life in chaos um, and, and saved this man, David, and did wonderful things even before this time and after this time in and through his life, God. I pray that we would see that, and I pray that, that as we see that, it would give us courage and hope and strength to, to face and um, confront our own sin and face and, and confront our own redemption and, and push forward through that. Uh, thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. Um, so 
If you have your Bible, it's the, the first bit of the passage is going to be on the screen, but the, the rest of it won't be. So if you have your Bible, it's, it, the story of David is in 2 Samuel uh, 11. And um, it's, a, it's an interesting thing, this, this story, and it's for, for so many reasons. Um, one of the things I want to point out at the beginning is, is God did a lot for his church before this event before these events with Bathsheba, God used David considerably to sing. I mean, David and Goliath happened, and David has become king, and there, there's so much that God has used through David before this great series of sin, and there's so much that God will use David for after this great series of sin. So I want you to see that um, as, as you process through this. And my hope and my prayer for us as, we've been, as we engage this morning is that God w- would bring to light a very specific sin that's in our lives that we wrestle with and deal with. But that sin and that knowledge of that sin would not be debilitating for us because as we look at David's life and even some others this morning, um, good things happened for David and God on, on either side of this. But the first thing I want us to see, um, uh, the first statement is that sin has a progressive nature. I, I listened to a sermon uh, several months ago on this passage by a guy named Scott Sauls who pastors in Nashville, Tennessee. And, and he he, this kind of the heart of his message was this: that that sin has a progressive nature. Look with me at the the first few verses of Second uh, Samuel eleven. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle. First thing to to note there: this is the time of the year when kings go out to battle. David's responsibility is to be at battle with his friends, with his with his countrymen, with his with his his army. And where is he? He's at home. Um, more here. David sent Joab with his servants and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. David is supposed to be someplace that he's not, and he remains there. And before he even sees Bathsheba, verse 2, it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch um, like this is a throwaway passage. This is before the good stuff happens, these things happen. But it's, it's so important for us. And as we, like this is really practical. Sin has a progressive nature. Your sin has a progressive nature. You don't just stumble into some great big giant sin where you commit adultery and murder and cover it up. That just doesn't happen. It's a progressive thing. And, and here we see in the story, David is first, he's being self-centered and lazy and where he's not supposed to be. And this is, um, like, don't let our excitement to get to the real action of the story happen because this is, this is so important and so practical for us. What, what are we doing? What, what has God 100%, no question about it, called you to do? Think about those things. What are you certain that God has called you to do? If you have a spouse, he's given you very specific instructions on that spouse. If you have a child, he's given you very specific instructions for that child. If you are a child, he's given you very specific instructions with how, how to deal with your parents. If you're in a church, he's given you very specific instructions on what to do within a church. Serving, finding places to serve examining your gifts, plugging those gifts into your church. If we're not doing those things, 
we are, in effect, maybe not consciously before today, but let me get in your face and say, so you, you have to think about this consciously. If God has given you something to do and you are not doing it, you are heading towards a great path of sin. There's probably nothing more practical that you'll hear in the next month than that. It's really important for us and really important for you. What has God called you to do? And, and look, at, look at David, very, very simple things. Not only is he, is he supposed to be someplace, but he gets off of his couch. Like that's metaphorical for us. So many times... When I, like, for me, there's this cyclical, cyclical thing of life where every three to six months or so, I just kind of get slumped shoulders and like, <laughs> and, and usually that coincides with a lot of couchness for me. Hanging out on a couch, quite literally. This, this happens all the time for me, you guys. I'm, I'm like laying my heart out to you and we're chuckling. I, like, I get it. It's kind of funny. But, but it's, it's, there, there's, a, there's a real depth to it. And I don't know what your, your couch looks like, but there's probably something for you that's, that's just like easy and, and simple and peaceful. And there's nothing wrong with easy, simple, and peaceful. But when you are laying aside your God-given responsibilities for that easy and peaceful, then, then you're, invi- you're, you're literally saying, sin, please come into my life. And it has a, with, without, if David is at battle where he's supposed to be, Uriah stays alive. Bathsheba doesn't have a child. None of that stuff happens if David is where he's supposed to be. And then the, the other part is, let, I want to read, read the rest of this passage here, the, the first part where he's seeing her. Um, verse 3, and David sent and inquired about the woman. That's such a lie. David knew exactly who this was and had probably been in, the same, in, in meals with her. Here, here's something you probably don't know about this passage. Uriah is one of the, you've heard of the, the phrase David and his mighty men, right? They were the, 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 the Navy SEALs of David's army. There were 30 of them, and Uriah was one of them. These were the most important people in David's world in his army. Mighty men, Uriah was one of them. And so I, I guarantee that David knew exactly who Bathsheba was. And, and the other thing is, in that age, women and people would bathe on their rooftops. So, so David arises from his couch and goes to his rooftop because he knows what, what he's going to see. This isn't some like, oops. David ar- arises from his lazy self-centeredness with the intent to go sin. Like, guys, this is... When, when we're alone and by ourselves where no one is watching us, we are extremely capable of sexual sin. And this is exactly what happened to David. Be careful. Be very, very careful. David knew this is not 
Oops. David knew exactly what he was doing. Um, I, I want you to, to pause for a second, too, and, and think about what it is, because th- this is a, a practical thing about a, a big story, but it loses its practicality if you don't spend some serious time right now thinking about what it is that God has called you to do. Without a doubt, no question, you could spit it out to me immediately. What has God called you to do? And when you shrink from that, when you choose self over that, you're inviting sin into your life. And so you need to very articulately speak that in your brain right now. Maybe write it down, something. Figure out a way to communicate that to yourself so you can't avoid it to understand what God has specifically called you to do. Because if you don't, you are literally inviting sin into your life. Um, but I want, I want to look at a few things here from, from David, very specifically the sin of David here in the story. First, he was shrinking from his responsibilities. He was choosing himself. Um, he was lusting over Bathsheba. And Bathsheba was the daughter of Iliam. In, in the story, he talks about Iliam, and Iliam is another one of David's mighty men. So I, I, can't, I can't fathom how this is okay in David's mind, in David's world. Not only is Uriah a, one of his mighty men, one of his closest people that is willing to die for him at, at any moment, but also Bathsheba's dad is. And that may be even worse as a dad of a, of a, of a daughter here. Like, you're lusting over my, my child and I've given my life to you? I, I've literally, Bathsheba's dad had literally given his life to David, willing to die for him. And this is the way that he objectifies his daughter. Sin is ugly. Um, he also abused his power by taking Bathsheba. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. He attempted to cover it up by calling Uriah back. He set the order to set Uriah to the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him so that he may be struck down and die. David was a grace abuser. You are a grace abuser. But God is bigger. It's, it's so incredible to think of the depth of David's sin and where it started. David arose from his couch. The consequences of the sin of David. Uriah dies. And this is something that I haven't thought about much. I thought about it a lot this week, though. The distrust and abuse of Bathsheba. Can you imagine the first few months of, of David and Bathsheba's now that Uriah's gone, what their relationship looked like? Can you imagine, like, the first time they were alone together after all this happened? And how much distrust and dysfunction had to be there? You just had my husband killed. You just literally abused your power to have me. Like, the... the the dysfunction that had to be present in their marriage had to be extreme. And Second Samuel 12, the next chapter, Nathan, God's prophet, comes and speaks to David a rebuke. And in that rebuke, he sets, he sets these things on David from God. God says, the sword will never depart from your house, meaning David's life will be a life spent at war. At all times, David and the nation of Israel will be at war. Always, until the day David dies. 
evil will rise up from your house. In 2 Samuel 12, 11. Also in 12, 11 says, I will give your wives to your neighbors. That's pretty, pretty profound. I'll give your wives to your neighbors. And a few verses later, this child that's conceived on that day dies. In 2 Samuel 12, you can read the story of this child dying. So all this, this awful things uh, resulting from David's terrible sin. Um, second practical thought is no sin is so great that God cannot redeem it and you. No sin is so great that God cannot redeem it and you. Um, let me show you a couple other places in Scripture where incredible things happened. Jacob, who was literally the patriarch of all of God's people in Israel, was a liar and a thief. Moses was a murderer who let people out of who led God's people out of great bondage but killed someone. Peter was a racist who denied knowing Jesus in the church. Abraham was a terrible husband who sold his wife to save his life and became the ultimate example of faithfulness. You see the, the dichotomy of, of these people, all the great things that Peter did, but he was, he was a racist and scared of a 13-year-old girl. And, and Abraham was, was a, he sold his wife out and, and he was a terrible husband, yet he was the father of, of our of, of our faith, and he was the father of, of many nations. Rahab, a prostitute who would risk her life later to, to give herself to save God's people. Um, you guys, Martin Luther, do you guys realize that Martin Luther was uh, anti-Semitic and he wanted to, to destroy the Jewish nation? Um, Jonathan Edwards, all of Jonathan Edwards' life, this great man who we quote many times here, Jonathan Edwards owned a slave his entire life. John Calvin, churches have been founded in his name. Entire religions have been founded in, in, in John Calvin's name. And, and he shapes a lot of the thought of the Reformation, which we still engage and enjoy today. Do you know that John Calvin once uh, participated in and, and kind of presided over someone being burned at the stake for being a heretic? These are our church fathers. These are the people that are all throughout Scripture doing awful things. So I had you thinking about a sin. Have you owned a slave? Have you burned someone at the stake? Have you participated in the execution of another human being? Is there racism in you? Have you denied Christ before 13-year-old girls? Have you uh, sold your wife out? Have you stolen your brother's birthright. All of these things, God's people that God used for great and incredible things have done these things. There is no sin so big that God can't redeem it. And he, he will redeem whatever sin that you are in the midst of. Let me say these things to you briefly. Sin does not define you. Sin does not define you. The consequences of sin may dog you and may haunt you, but sin does not define you. Sin does not define, did not define David. Your sin will be redeemed, and God will even use it 
to further his kingdom. Um, you want to know something really, really cool? I've said this before and here before. Um, so this awful sin that began with, with David sitting on a sofa when he was supposed to be out doing something for his country um, and ended with Uriah dead and this baby that was conceived dead and, and Bathsheba being married to an abusive man. The product of that, the, you know the next child that David and Bathsheba will have? Do you know what his name was? Solomon. What did Solomon do? Solomon wrote a big piece of scripture. He wrote Ecclesiastes and he wrote most of the Proverbs. And you know what the legacy of, of Solomon's life is? It's the, the temple. He, he was the man, man given charge to build God's temple. This great and majestic, wonderful temple where the people of God would worship and people would, would mecca to forever. Would, this is Solomon's legacy. And he is lit, quite literally the product of this sin, this series of sins. God, watch God redeeming things. So Solomon and the temple and Ecclesiastes and the book of Proverbs are all direct descendants of the sin of David, of David not getting off of his sofa to go to battle. But here's the coolest part about that. Do you know, if we can trace it nine or ten generations later, who, who that child is? Does anybody know? Jesus. That's crazy. Like, think about your, your, the sin that, 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 like, disables you and, and destroys you. And you can't believe what you've done and who you are and what kind of sinner. You believe the lies of Satan that you are some sort of miserable failure of a human being Christian. It's not as bad as what David did. And what, what, what miracle did God work out? What, without David and Bathsheba, without that sin happening, God's got to come up with a different plan for Jesus to come. Jesus is the product of that. That's incredible. There's no sin that you have committed that God can't redeem. Do you see how beautiful the wonderful story of Jesus Christ is? That he literally came from that line, came from that sin. And you think that God can't redeem something that's in your world. That's just silly. Um, God has God has put your sin in parentheses. I want you to hit that slide there, Cooper. I want you to see this. I, I, I need you to see this. God has put your sin in parentheses. Do you know what that means? Think about that mathematically. What happens in there is like it, it, it's, it stays in there. And that you're getting passed out a piece of paper. This, um, please engage this with me. It's just a piece of paper with a line on it inside of parentheses. 
All right? I want you to think about this. I want you to do with it as you want, as you want to. But I want you to, to see this story of David. I want you to understand the redemptive power of God. I want you to understand the simple nature of sin that happens in your life. And I want you to think through these, this line with parentheses around it. And I want you to consider what to, what to say, what to think, what to write. Um, I know that there are people who, who engage uh, learning or, or, or stuff in different ways. So do with that paper what you want to do with that paper. But here, here, are, some, here are some ideas, some thoughts for you to, to bring this idea that God can redeem you um, and redeem your sin, to, to bring this into the depths of your spirit. What things that you can do with this paper. First, you could write a very specific sin on there and you can like cover it up so your friends next to you don't see what you write if you, if you need to do that. Or if you want to live in community, you can live in community and like pass it around and let everybody see what you wrote. Whatever. Um, you can, if you're a little less open book, that's fine. You can just write the word sin on there. Um, or you can leave it blank because God has put your sin away. 2 Samuel 12, 13, Nathan says to David after he has given his sin, he has confronted him about his sin and all this stuff has happened. Nathan says to David, the Lord has put your sin away. So you can look at that blank piece of paper, leave it blank and think to yourself, God has literally put my sin away. So not only is there no parentheses, it doesn't exist anymore. It's gone. He's put it away. That's incredible. You can put this piece of paper, written or not written, in your Bible in Psalm 51, which is David's response to having his sin put in parentheses. You can, this is the cool thing that I think would be really fun. That's what I'm going to do. Put it in your pocket. Leave it there. Let your pants go through the washing machine. And then, like, the next time you put them on, you'll reach in there and you'll feel it and that paper will be completely destroyed. Like it'll be just fragments of paper and it'll be like dust. Think about that. That's really cool, right? Like this is, this is, God is literally washing it away, right? That's incredible. And, and I know it's cheesy and silly and we giggle, but think about the beauty of the reality that that, like, that's a silly, like, 12-year-old illustration, right? But there's, there's beauty in that. And this is the truth. The, the point is, is for us to, to understand in our brains in such a way that it, it changes the way we practically live in this world. And engage with this. The other thing you can do is just fold it up and put it in the offering plate this morning. In just a bit, we're going to stand, we're going to rise, we're going to come up and put, uh, give our offerings to God. We can lay our sin at God's altar as well. And then we're going to break of the bread and dip into the bowl and take communion after we've, we've placed sin at his feet. It's powerful. David has sinned greatly, but the Lord has redeemed even greater. The last thing I want us to see this morning is from Psalm 51, and I, I hope that this inspires us to be in awe of who God is. Third thing is God can and will 
cleanse you, Psalm 51. Let me read Psalm 51 over you. And as I do, um, this would be a good time for you to engage that piece of paper that you have, write on it or not, or consider what to do. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned. And I've done what's evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Come back here for the rest of this passage. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. That's an incredible verse, you guys. Think about your sin and the power of it. It holds no power over you because of who God is and what he's done. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. There's no maybe, there's no almost, there's no at some point, I shall be clean. And not you, but only him. He has put your sin in parentheses. It doesn't exist anymore. It's gone. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Notice who the actor is there. It's God. He is creating in you a clean heart. He is renewing a right spirit within you. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. All this written just a few days after all of this happened with David and Bathsheba. This is the reality that David experienced, and this is the reality that's offered to you. Anytime that there's any piece of you that thinks that for some reason God holds sin against you, chase it away immediately and say, lie from the enemy. Because not only has your sin been put away, but God can and will use that activity to change you and the world around you and redeem this world. This is what he does. It's who he is. Don't let sin dog you. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. This is your God before you. Let's pray and worship. God, I thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you for the life of David. I thank you for 
for putting away sin, God. I thank you for cleaning my heart. God, I pray that you would give me very practical encouragement to to go and be who you've called me to be, God, and not shrink from those responsibilities. And that I would experience you in a real and profound way, God. God, I pray that you would give me what's needed, give us what's needed to lay sin down, God, and pursue you, Father. God, I thank you that you are redeeming God. God, I pray for us all that we would see past sin in our worlds and in our lives and then see how you have brought about your kingdom and brought about your gospel in our lives because of those things, because of those consequences, God. God, I'm, I'm so grateful for the way that you've redeemed my sin. God, and as I'm praying here to you, I'm, I'm reminded of those sitting in these chairs, God, and their past sin and their past mistakes and how you've used those things to further plant your gospel in their hearts, God. What an incredible God you are. God, thank you that you've put our sin away. Thank you that you've redeemed our sin, God. God, I pray that you would allow us to take practical steps this morning, but I pray in these moments we would Just stand and sit and sing and pray and commune. Be overcome by the beauty of who you are and what you've done. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.